the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Bye-bye, Mitch. And not a decade too soon. Mitch McConnell finally did it. Actually, he didn't do it yet, but he promises he's going to do it in November. He's going to uh, step down as minority leader in the Senate, but apparently... He's going to stay in the Senate until 2027, when he'll be 85 years old. He gave a speech today, and he said, quote, One of life's most underappreciated talents is to know when it's time to move on to life's next chapter. So I stand before you today to say that this will be my last term as Republican leader of the Senate, unquote. Well, another thing that's nice to have is a little introspection, you know, like in this case, knowing that you should have given this speech at least 10 years ago, there are way too many people working in the federal government who have been hanging around too long. Maybe after you've been there for a long time, you start to get, you know, an inflated opinion of yourself and how important you are to the country, and maybe that uh, you're actually bigger than the job. As Today, uh, McConnell said, quote, um, I always imagined a moment when I have total clarity and peace about the sunset of my work a moment when I'm certain I have helped preserve the ideals I so strongly believe. That day arrived today. Can you imagine somebody retiring from a job, you know, where you work and saying, I finally have peace. Why are you retiring? Oh, I finally have peace about the sunset of my work. You think they're a little bit full of themselves? Anyway, sounds like a guy who might be a little full of himself. Uh, The scary thing is that Mitch hasn't been around as long as Joe Biden who may be around for another five years. And now, if Mitch really wants to do the American people a favor before he the sun sets on his work, he can convince Nancy Pelosi to walk out the door behind him. When we come back, I'm going to have the National Press Secretary for the Trump campaign here to talk about Trump's visit to the border tomorrow and the big win in the Michigan primary yesterday. And in our second half hour, an amazing long list of places where climate hysterics will be flying in their private jets in the next several months and how the Biden administration is going to make America a lot uglier with solar panels everywhere. Stick around. Donald Trump is going to the Texas-Mexico border tomorrow, and so is Joe Biden. Interesting that they're going on the same day. Caroline Levitt is National Press Secretary for the Trump Campaign, and she joins us now. Caroline, thanks for coming on. Appreciate it. Hey, thank you so much for having me. We appreciate it, too. So um, what's on the itinerary for uh, Donald Trump tomorrow? Well, the president will be going to the southern border tomorrow. This was a publicly reported trip a couple of weeks ago. He's going to Eagle Pass, Texas, which has, of course, been on the front lines of the border invasion we've seen in Sioux because of Biden's open border policies over the past few years. He will meet with United States Border Patrol agents and state and local law enforcement on the ground to hear their concerns and assess what's been happening over the past three years since he left office. And he'll also give remarks to the American people uh, talking about his second-term agenda 
to secure the border, to fix the crisis that Joe Biden has created. And as you mentioned, John, not so coincidentally, Joe Biden's handlers are sending him to the border on the very same day President Trump is making this visit in an attempt to clean up the political mess that Joe Biden has found himself in on this issue of immigration. Eagle Pass is uh, kind of where the action is down there. Joe's going to Brownsville. What do you expect from that trip? Well, we'll have to see. I'm sure, like all of the President Biden's trips, it will be very tight-lipped. His team will allow him to take questions. He'll probably talk for a few minutes before his, his brain shuts off. Uh, and so we, well, we hope to hear from him uh, our solution to solve this border crisis. But I don't think we should hold our breath. Joe Biden has had three and a half years to visit the border. He's only done it once. He went into an airport hangar and then quickly left. He doesn't care about solving this crisis. He doesn't need to go to the border to solve it either, by the way. He has the executive authority he needs right now sitting in the Oval Office to shut down the border and to empower those brave agents on the front lines of this crisis to do their job, yet he refuses to do it. So you'll hear more of the same from Joe Biden tomorrow, I am sure. His administration has been telling us for three years, really up until now, that the border was secure. We know that, of course, is not true. We're seeing the damaging consequences of it in our own communities. In every state from Pennsylvania to Wisconsin to Florida, we're seeing a rise in migrant crime. We're seeing an increase in fentanyl overdoses, much of that fentanyl being trafficked over Biden's open border. Um, So we'll see if his team lets him take questions on all of these issues tomorrow. But I highly, highly doubt it. Uh, And uh, Biden issued 89 executive orders to reverse uh, Trump policies about 15 minutes after he was inaugurated. Um, And according to his press secretary yesterday, I believe it was, there are no plans to issue any executive orders. You just mentioned he could do that. He's apparently still trying to sell the uh, quote-unquote bipartisan bill. What doesn't Donald Trump like about that bill? Well, it's not a border bill. It's not. It does nothing to secure the border. It actually will help exacerbate the crisis that we see by allowing 5,000 unvetted illegal immigrants to claim amnesty every single week. That's 4,000 more, by the way, than Barack Obama and Joe Biden themselves said was a crisis level when they were in office just eight, eight, ten years ago. Uh, It also gave more money to Ukraine than it actually did to the brave Border Patrol agents on the front lines of this crisis in our own country. It gave $60 billion to fund the fight in Ukraine with no strategic plan to actually end the war. The American people are fed up with writing blank checks, as we should be. Bidenomics is hitting every American family hard right now, and we've been sending money over there for years, and Joe Biden has not given us a, a reason that we should feel confident that he has a plan to actually end this war and bring peace to the region. And so it was not a border bill. It was an amnesty bill. It was a Ukraine funding bill. The Democrats are playing political football with this, trying to point the finger at Republicans, which is utterly absurd. Joe Biden has been the commander in chief for the past three and a half years. He has overseen the a historic rise in illegal crossings at our southern border. This is his crisis. He owns it. He has the power to fix it, and he refuses. And you say President Trump tomorrow is going to have do a, uh, give a speech and give specific issues, uh, ideas, uh, plans for what he would do uh, to fix this? Uh, absolutely, yes. President Trump will be addressing his Agenda 47 plan, as he calls it, to secure the border which includes a few things. 
first reconstructing re, uh, the border wall, which he already built more than 500 miles of. And by the way, where that Trump border wall was built, there was a decrease by 87% in illegal crossings. So we know that physical barriers and walls work to protect our homeland. President Trump will resume construction of the border wall. He also has made a promise to launch the largest mass deportation operation in American history. And we can do that by empowering state and local law enforcement on the ground in every community across this country to work hand-in-hand with federal immigration authorities to deport illegal immigrants as we see them in our communities committing crimes. There was a case just last week, of course, I'm sure your audience has heard the tragic murder of Lake and Riley was completely preventable. Not only was that monster allowed to illegally invade our border, he was then allowed to be released free again in New York City after injuring a child. And so that will not happen under President Trump's leadership. We will ensure that local law enforcement can contact federal ICE agents and the illegal criminals in our communities will be deported. They will not be set free. We're talking to Caroline Levitt. She's the national press secretary for the Trump campaign. Um, so what, what has the fact that uh, immigration has become now, I, I think, the number one issue, in the, uh, according to the polls, what, what has that done to the dynamics of the race? And, and is, it, is it a little bit unexpected? Not, not that it wasn't well, going to be a big issue, but a, a year ago, would right. you have thought it would have been this big of an issue? Unfortunately, yes. I think President Trump, you know, has has said this since he left office, that Joe Biden was going to open our border and it was going to have a devastating consequence and impact on our nation. And, you know, it's taken three and a half years, I think, for a lot of people to really wake up to what is going on because we see the consequences in our communities every day. Every state now has become a border state. That's what happens when you have a mass invasion of nearly 10 million illegal people. 10 million illegals, that's more than the total population of 40 major American cities. And we see American cities crumbling as a result. They don't have the infrastructure or the place to put these elite or house these illegal migrants. Many of them are now taking up the schools and recreation centers of American children. I mean, this is what you get when you have a president who campaigned on putting every country around this world first and, and putting America last. President Trump called Biden out for this uh, in 2020, and the only difference between now and then is then he was warning the American public about what could happen, and now he's saying this has happened and we need to change as soon as possible. Yeah, and it actually wasn't much of a an issue in the 20 uh, in 20 uh, yeah 2020 because uh, immigration up until that point uh, things were going good except for the Democrats accusing. The Republicans of putting kids in cages and all that stuff. There, there was not other than Donald Trump warning people that they shouldn't elect Joe Biden. There wasn't. Uh, it wasn't a big topic of discussion. It wasn't in the news every day. No, it wasn't because it wasn't a problem, right? Yeah. We had a secure border, the most secure border in history. Tom Homan, the former director of ICE, said it himself. He's never seen any president take more actions to secure the border than President Trump. There was a historic uh, decrease in illegal crossings. There was a historic uptick in deportations. And so we weren't seeing these great consequences that we are now of an illegal, unstable border. And so it, it wasn't an issue because President Trump had it under control, just like inflation wasn't an issue. I mean, we never heard the word inflation being talked about 
under President Trump's term nope. because it didn't exist. Record, record low inflation, record low gas prices, record low unemployment, mortgage rates, interest rates. I mean, the numbers and the statistics speak for themselves. But what really is most important in this next election is the tangible feeling that voters have. Under President Trump, we were safe and we were secure and all of our pocketbooks were doing a little bit better than they are today. Now all we have is chaos and destruction and the increased cost of living that is really, really hurting so many families across the country. And it's an indefensible record. Best of luck to Joe Biden and his team. Hey, I would hate to be Joe Biden's spokesperson because there's nothing to defend. I'm excited to be working for President Trump because he did so much for us. And people remember that. They realize it. And that's why he's leading in the polls, including in your great home state of Pennsylvania. And um, I see that the campaign, uh, speaking of immigration and crime, uh, I see the uh, campaign has released an ad showing all the crimes uh, recently being committed by illegal aliens. Uh, will that be a major theme of uh, the campaign? Uh, specifically, I mean the connection between immigration and crime. Yes, absolutely. Of course. I mean, this is a major issue for all Americans. It, one American death is far too many. We, as I mentioned, had the, the horrific death of Lake and Riley last week, but unfortunately, tragically, she's not the only one. There are many other Americans who have been killed at the hands of illegal immigrants and that, that, that are completely preventable. These people should not be in our nation in the first place, never mind allowed to roam free on the American taxpayer's dime and then take the lives of our citizens. It's completely unfair. It's unjust. And any logical, sane American, I think, is infuriated by this and does not agree with it. And again, Joe Biden is allowing it. He has the executive authority he needs to close down the border and end this destruction and chaos, yet he refuses to do so. And so President Trump will continue to talk about it because it's a dereliction of duty by Joe Biden. He's the commander-in-chief. His utmost responsibility is to protect this homeland, and he's refusing to do it. We're talking to Caroline Levitt, National Press Secretary for the Trump campaign. On another subject, uh, Caroline, uh, Donald Trump won Michigan, I think the final numbers, uh, at least the ones I saw, 68% to 26% over Nikki Haley, and she's still in it, but she says the 26% flashes as a warning sign for November. That's her response to getting beat by 40 points. <laughs> Yeah, well, no one has ever celebrated second place in American politics. Nikki Haley somehow turned a 30-point loss in Iowa into a win. She said the same thing after she was beat by double digits in New Hampshire. She said the same thing after she lost to literally no one in Nevada. Actually, she called that system rigged. And then she was just beat in her home state of South Carolina by the people that know her best, who overwhelmingly chose President Trump. Same decision in Michigan last night. Voters have made their choices very, very clear. They want President Trump to be our party's nominee because they know he's the best candidate to defeat Joe Biden in November, to get our country back on track, rebuild our economy and our military, secure our border, restore peace around this world. Voters trust him on those issues. They don't trust Nikki Haley. And we, we feel very strongly that voters have made their choices clear. Last night in Michigan was another huge win. So we are going to focus 100 percent of our attention now on Joe Biden and and the chaos that he has committed so we can beat him and restore order to this nation uh, come November. How much does the campaign have to prepare for the possibility that it won't be Biden? Because I've thought for a long time that it's not going to be him. 
Well, it's very hard to imagine that President Biden can make it to November, never mind make it through another four years of leading this country, which is arguably the most demanding job in the world, to be the leader of the free world and the commander-in-chief of our military and hold the nuclear codes. Joe Biden clearly does not have the mental or physical fitness to lead in this position. I mean, don't take it from me. Look at his own Justice Department's report that said that he is not cognitively fit enough to stand trial. If he's not fit enough to stand trial, how can we trust him to lead this country? And so we'll have to see what happens between now and November. But ultimately, it really doesn't matter who the Democrats put up as their nominee, because all of the Democrats support the policies that Joe Biden has implemented over the past few years that have made our lives and our country worse. Is... um. Uh, <laughs> Is Mitch McConnell announcing today that he's stepping down as leader next November? Good news for the Trump campaign. Would Donald Trump consider that good news? Well, I'll let the president speak on that and and give his reaction. I'm sure you'll be hearing uh, very soon from him on this news today. Yeah, but uh, they've not gotten along, right? Uh, Mitch McConnell and Donald Trump in the past, no, most definitely not. The president has has said before that it's definitely time for new leadership, uh, both in the Senate and, and also in the House, too. You know, we have people like Nancy Pelosi and Mitch McConnell and, and Liz Cheney and Mitt Romney who no longer represent uh, the interests of their voters. President Trump has made that clear. But after the news of McConnell stepping down today, like I said, I am sure you'll hear from the president himself on that very soon. Now, I have a, for finishing up here, uh, Caroline, I have another question. This is um, kind of a, a general thing, but... Um, you know, everybody sees, and I've obviously seen the uh, the great crowds at the, the, the rallies and everything uh, that Donald Trump has had all over the country. Here's my question, though: How much of the, the people who show up at those rallies they're going to vote for Donald Trump? You know, the you know ninety nine point nine percent of the people there are Trump voters. But how, is there is there is it possible that there's too much uh, preaching to the choir going on, and that? At some point, do you need to take the campaign maybe to uh, inner cities or someplace where you're not preaching to the choir? I guess guess that's my short version of my long question. Well, we are definitely focused on targeting every single voter that we possibly can. Obviously, we've been engaged in a primary, and for far too long, we called on our fellow Republicans to unify around us so we could really start to focus on messaging to voters in these key battleground states like yours of Pennsylvania, talking to key auto workers in in Michigan, talking to Hispanic Americans and African Americans about why their lives were better under President Trump's policies and why they're worse off today because of Joe Biden's policies. And so our campaign will be hell-bent on on doing that in between now and November, uh, getting out the vote, especially in those communities that have long voted Democrat, but we feel very confident based on the last three years of Joe Biden's failures, we can get them to vote Republican in November. And so I think you should stay tuned on our campaign. We have a lot of exciting events in, uh, in, in different states and counties across this country to target different types of voters uh, that may not be our base. And we understand that, and we will certainly focus on doing that. Well, Caroline, I appreciate you coming on the show. I have a feeling I'll talk to you again between now and November, but I'm glad you were able to come on today. Definitely. Something tells us we'll be in Pennsylvania soon, too. Thank Uh, you so much. Okay, thank you. That's Caroline Levitt. She's the uh, press secretary for the Trump campaign. I'll be right back.
Well, I've only flown on a um, private jet once, and uh, the co-pilot was Arnold Palmer. <laughs> but that's another story. I'll tell you that sometime. Um, but I came across a, a piece at The Federalist today. It was uh, written by Daniel Turner. Anyway, uh, we've had Daniel on the show. Uh, he's from Power of the Future. He's the CEO and founder. He's been on the show a lot. And he had a ridiculously long list of places in a piece today at The Federalist where uh, climate hysterics will be going in their private jets. Uh, Daniel is actually out of the country right now, so I can't talk to him about it. But communications director for Power of the Future, Larry Behrens, is here. He joins us now. Thanks for coming on, Larry. Hey, so great to talk with you. And Daniel did not take a private jet out of the country. Yeah, uh, that was that was going to be my first question. <laughs> that he didn't. I'm, I'm guessing that he did not take a private jet, so he flies commercial. He, he, yeah, he flew commercial, but that's bad enough for all the eco leftists who then will fly private. Oh yeah. Well, I I've I've actually sworn off flying. I the the, the stupidity at the airports and everything that you have to go through. I actually haven't flown anywhere in over ten years, and um, if you have, a, if you want to take me somewhere in your private jet, I, I'll go. But I'm not flying. I don't want to deal with the airport. The, the flying's not the problem; it's the airport. But that's another story too. <laughs> um, <laughs> but but we hear about the big meetings at uh, places like uh, COP28, which got a lot of publicity in Dubai, I guess, a couple of months ago. But according to Daniel's story, there's a conference somewhere almost every week that these people go to. It is, and you wonder what they do for a living, and well, this outlines it. They fly all over the world, and they're professional whiners, right? And it would be laughable, and we could just make fun of it, if not for the fact that the ideas that they hatch here, and they get crazier and crazier with each meeting, then become our reality. I guarantee you it was a meeting not too long ago where someone said, you know, gas stoves. They, they burn gas, yeah. and next thing you know, everyone's trying to take our gas stoves. Yeah, it was it was one of those things a few years ago that cow farts became a problem. Um, exactly. I, yeah, exactly. I mean, you hadn't heard about it, and then all of a sudden it was a, <laughs> it was a big deal. Um, but I like some of the names. Uh, the Second Nature Higher Education Climate Leadership Summit is in Long yeah. Beach, California, what do you suppose they'll talk about there that they couldn't have talked about in Dubai back in November? You know, I think like all bureaucrats, they, they feel that anytime they're talking, that they're actually working. And, you know, anybody who has a real job doesn't uh, could not relate to that. They will go and they'll expense it all and it'll all be on the, the taxpayer's dime. And, you know, here's the thing that, that gets me as well is when you look at the list of those places, they're never in, like, Midland, Texas, where we actually create energy, or the parts of Pennsylvania where we actually create energy. No, they'll never visit there. It's always going to be some swank resort, and they're just going to bump from one to the other to the other. And, and when folks wondered what did John Kerry do for nearly three years, well, now we know. Uh, and then there's the Aspen Ideas Institute Climate Conference. That's next month, but uh, it's in Miami. So they're going to take the plane... From Miami, from Aspen, and have the have the conference in Miami. I don't know. That's uh, that. That sounds like a might be wasting some fossil fuel there. 
It absolutely is. The entire thing is a waste. And that's what Daniel pinpointed so well. These are the very people who tell you that fossil fuels are evil, that you should never use them. And their carbon footprint, if that's what we're going to measure as the terrible measure that is, if their carbon footprint was put up against the average American, it would be ginormous. Yet, as John Kerry said, you know, these are special people. For someone like him, a private jet is the only way that they can get around. Well, I, I could start to see that because if you have to go to the Aspen Institute meeting in Miami, well, that's a that's a hop that maybe there's no connecting flight. Your private jet is really the only way. The only and way these are problems that we couldn't uh, figure out. Well, and then there's the World Impact Summit in Bordeaux, France. Again, I don't. I look through this list, and I've talked to Daniel about this, and probably you too. I don't see Youngstown, Ohio, in here, or Akron, or you know Harrisburg, PA. It's uh, Bordeaux, France. Yeah. Is a, that's a, that's a nice. Nice if you can go there and have somebody else pay for it. Well, and, and you know why, John, why why they're not uh, going to your neck of the woods or, or those great towns of Jamie, Pennsylvania, because there is an off chance that they might actually run into someone who's impacted by these terrible ideas. That they're, and they just can't have that, right? It, it's for the same reason that a lot of federal government agencies don't want to move out of Washington. Then they may actually have to face the people that these terrible ideas are for. And, and it gets to the bottom line of it. Not only is it the hypocrisy, it's the absolute arrogance. It's the feeling that they are better than us, that we are you know, a product to be managed as opposed to free citizens, which is what we are. And they are just coming up with idea after idea. And they run it like a, a trial balloon. Hey, it worked in this little no-name place that you ever never heard of. Maybe it will work uh, in you know, across the whole United States. And so it's really sad that this is their laboratory for terrible ideas. But I guess it's a free meal ticket all around the world, and they're going to keep the train going. Well, you, you say this is paid for by taxpayer dollars. Are, are most of the people who show up there government officials who have figured out a way to, to, to get a nice trip on an expense account? Or how many of them work for nonprofit foundations and make lots of money and get to travel all over the world? Yeah, and that's a great question. And sometimes we have a hard time distinguishing. At least I know I do, right? Because they jump from the climate office here, official taxpayer account, to now I work for the NGO because I was just handing out money to this NGO that I now work for. So they get a sweet deal. I'm thinking of John Podesta. He used to work for green companies, and now he's in charge of all the green money. But to your point, at places like Dubai, it's straight taxpayer. Anthony Blinken went to Dubai, and there's never been an accounting of the Biden administration of how many of the bureaucrats from Washington went there. They said Blinken went there, the EPA administrator went there, and they won't tell how much support staff, how much security. They, they, we, they, we have never gotten to tab of how much that cost. And to your point, then, if it's not the Secretary of State, is it some Deputy Secretary of State or Undersecretary of State that we've never heard of, but yet is making all these kinds of deals and negotiating uh, on our behalf? And that's, you know, another question. What I can tell you is that we're suing John Kerry to find out just who is in his office, just who works there. And then hopefully the next step will be, well, how often are they traveling on our dime? Because as these conferences lay out, they're on the road an awful lot. Well, we're talking to Larry Behrens. He's Communications Director for Power of the Future. Um, you mentioned John Kerry. How significant is it that he's getting out of there? And they're, it, not that they're going to replace him with somebody who's any different. No, actually, and, and this is going to be hard. I think the folks may throw up a little bit when they hear this, but they're replacing him with someone worse. And you're saying, how could it be worse than, than John Kerry? Oh, that's right. That's right. It was John Podesta, yeah. yeah. It's John Podesta, who we found out last week, a great report, uh, his brother is actually, John Podesta's brother is actually a lobbyist 
for foreign, not American, foreign liquid natural gas producers. And what did Joe Biden do about two weeks ago at the behest of John Podesta? He stopped American exports of natural gas, which I know is a, you know, Pennsylvania is a huge producer of natural gas. And Joe Biden said, nope, nope, we're not going to have our exports anymore. We're just going to pause on it. Well, then who starts to make money off of that? Foreign natural gas producers and their lobbyists who hope also happens to be John Podesta's brother. So when I say it's worse, you know, we may wish for the days when John Kerry was just swiping the taxpayer credit card to get on the private jet. Now there's uh, the green grift has extended further, and sadly we're paying for it on both ends, right? We're losing the jobs, we're losing the opportunities in places like Pennsylvania, but then also John Podesta's family gets a little richer. And I don't know about John Kerry's expertise on climate, but what about John Podesta? I know he's a, a a political hack and a guy who's been around politics and in Washington way too long, but what do you suppose made Joe Biden think that he was someone who would be qualified for this? Not that there is any yeah, such it, thing. Yeah, it's it's a great point. He's also he was Bill Clinton's chief of staff when Bill Clinton was in the White House and yeah. he was Hillary Clinton's campaign manager when she ran for the White House. And yeah. so yeah, you're right. His experience doesn't quite match up with climate, but it has the experience that Joe Biden wants, Podesta knows how to dole out money to well-connected political people so that that money magically finds itself back into Joe Biden's campaign coffers. And that's the only skill Joe Biden worries about. Well, one last thing here on some of these places where they're going. I, just thought, I want to read the list from uh, Daniel's uh, column. This is just a few uh, to give you a, give you an idea, get the flavor here. The 8th International Conference on Climate Change in Sri Lanka uh, and that's coming up in the next couple of weeks. And the 16th International Conference on Climate Change in Paris in April. The World Conference on Climate Change and Global Warming in Madrid in April. Uh, and a similarly, similarly named, he says here, 4th International Conference on Climate Change and Sustainability. I liked when they get, were able to work in sustainability. Will be in Paris this July. And then he says, let us not confuse that July climate conference with another July one, the Conference on Global Climate Change and Sustainable Development. That's in London. It seems to me, uh, Larry, that one of the tough things for them is coming up with a different way to name the conference to say the same thing. That, that may be the hardest way they, they, they work is to come up with the different names. And, and can you imagine? I, I could swear there's probably more of you attendees who are like, oh, Paris again. They are on the road so much. I don't even know if they could vote in the country anymore. They haven't been home in so long. But I will, I will scrutinize and check my email. I know you will, too, because I'm sure my invitation to one of these yeah, yeah. climate conferences is just around the corner. Are these the same people, though, really, Larry? Are they, I mean, if you went to... If you made, if you got it, got your private jet and just went planet hop, hopping and and uh, country hopping, I guess, and and check these things out, would you be finding mostly the same people there? I think so. I think they would have it as kind of you know. I look at it like a minor league baseball system. In some cases, yeah, you're going to have an all-star game that's COP29 in Dubai, but in other cases, it's going to be the single-A or the triple-A team, but they're all going to the same direction. And yeah, there are going to, I'm positive it's the same people, because it was one thing we know from the climate movement is when we see ideas come out of it, they don't just, terrible ideas don't just stay 
in one group. They, they go everywhere. They don't just ban gas stoves in one place. They're going to go for New York, and then they're going to go for California. Their terrible idea spread, and that tells me that it's the same people trying to use the same tactics because they all learned it at the same time in the same way. Okay, now I, I want to switch subjects here because I, I came across this, and uh, th- you're the perfect person to talk to about this. I came across this at the Epoch Times uh, today, and the headline is, Rural America set to be transformed by up to 55 million acre federal solar plant. 55 million acres. And uh, mm-hmm. it says here that uh, solar energy's appetite for vast amounts of land has prompted the Biden administration to propose designating as much as 55 million acres of public lands as potential sites for industrial scale solar farms. That's an area larger than 36 states and similar in size to Idaho or Minnesota. What could go wrong there, Larry? <laughs> Everything could go wrong. You know, I'm here in the Midwest, and where you know, if China is buying up farmland, it makes a huge deal. And one of the along these lines, one of the little known things that Joe Biden did when he first came in office, and it was an idea that came out of one of these climate conferences, was he did a 30 by 30 executive order. In other words, that the federal government would take control of 30 percent of the land in the United States. By 2030. And now we know why they wanted to get their hands on that, right? There's some states out west where they already have the federal government, whether it's the Forest Service, Department of Defense, uh, Bureau of Land Management, they already have well over 30% of the land. And so this massive land grab to throw Chinese made solar panels all across the country for more expensive and intermittent energy is an absolute loser. And a land grab is the only way to describe it because that is the federal government saying we're going to pick winners and losers in the energy game, and we've picked Chinese solar panels over American energy production. And here's what it says, and I'd like you to comment on this. More than 3 million solar panels are required to produce 1 gigawatt of uh, electricity, according to the Department of Energy. 1GW can power 500,000 to 750,000 homes on average, assuming a constant supply of energy generation and use. Three million panels for 750,000 homes? Yeah, it's not going to get the job done, right? And and that I, I would even say that that is generous to solar panels because we know um, it seems like for my whole life the sun has had this issue where it just goes down for half of the day. And so those solar panels are not going to be effective. And so the, the promises of the solar panels never come to fruition. But, yeah, the, the footprint, once again, the geographic footprint of these solar panels to power even fewer homes is insane when you consider what you can get from a coal-fired power plant, a natural gas-fired power plant, and all the, the power that is generated now. And so I will just tell you, I have yet to see one single solar project deliver the power that it promised when everybody was there for the ribbon cutting. They don't deliver. They require, as we are seeing, millions of acres of land just for the privilege of more expensive energy that isn't always there because sometimes it's cloudy. And boy, those uh, panels, solar panels, what they do to the countryside, I, I really, I, there, I haven't seen any here in Western PA where you, where they, they're so large that they just absolutely destroy the view and everything, but I have seen pictures of them, and I'm sure you have. Um, do you think people, the average person, is aware of how ugly all those solar panels will, would be and will be if they, they pull this off? I, I don't. And, and I think, you know, I, I, and I say that 
uh, hesitantly because I think a lot of people do, but I look sadly at, and I have kids, at the younger generation. The generation has always flipped the light switch and the lights have come on. And so when some greenie from Joe Biden's climate court comes to him and says, hey, wouldn't you rather have this windmill or the solar panel versus this thing that has uh, what looks like smoke coming out of it? And every kid says, yeah, because they think it's that one-to-one exchange when that is absolutely not the case. You, you need so much more solar panels because there's so much more inefficient when it comes to energy delivery. And and the thing that Joe Biden and is talking about is, let's say he gets his dream and gets all these solar panels over all this land by 2030, by 2050, we have to replace it all. These yeah. things don't last. Yeah, it's, I, I can't believe that they're even talking about it, but it, it keeps moving along, and I sure hope, uh, the, the, I just don't know what's going to happen if the uh, Democrats stay in power for four more years. That's scary to think about, but uh, Larry, I appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you. Hey, hey thanks so much. See you at the next climate conference. <laughs> yeah, I'll be there. I think I'm going to go to Bordeaux. That sounds nice. I'll be. I'll <laughs> see you there. <laughs> thanks. That's Larry Behrens of the uh, of Power of the Future. I'll be right back. Well, it's story time. I got a couple minutes here, and it got me to thinking. I mentioned that I flew on Arnold Palmer's jet. Uh, two stories about Arnold Palmer and his jet. The, one of the, I think it was the first event I ever covered on a press pass. I was in college at Kent State, and I went to the Firestone Classic in Akron at Firestone Country Club. Arnold Palmer played in it. And he left. I think he missed the cut. I don't know. He, he didn't, didn't win it. But he, he played his round, and he was still a pretty big deal then. This is like 1971. And um, he uh, finishes his round, and there's a big crowd. And I'm, I'm pretty impressed by all this. I'm a college kid. And I'm watching Arnold Palmer, and he's coming up the fairway, and the crowd's going nuts and everything. And uh, Arnold Palmer then leaves, you know, walks off, signs autographs, goes to the airport, which is only 15 minutes up the road from the country club. And within a few minutes after he left, a jet comes screaming over the 18th green as some of the leaders are coming up the fairway. And as it flies over, it tips its wings and flies off into the sunset. I thought that was very, very cool for Arnold Palmer to do that. And the crowd cheered. They knew it was him. So then in 1983, the U.S. Open is coming to Pittsburgh, and they were looking for an idea for a pregame show. And I was really pretty good at coming up with ideas for stuff like this. I would shoot for the moon and then go work back from there. I said, why don't I take a ride on Arnold Palmer's jet when he goes to a golf tournament? So I did. I went out to the airport and Latrobe. I got there at 6 in the morning. Uh, he pulled up in his Cadillac. He took his clubs out of his trunk. He threw them in the bottom of the jet. I got in. He took off. He flew the jet. He actually did a little bit of cowboying in the jet when he saw we were looking at him and took a little couple little dives and everything. But there I was. I went from being very impressed to seeing him fly over the 18th green and tip his wings to flying on the jet and watching him play. I did a lot of pretty cool things in my job. I'm kind of grateful for that. I thought you'd be interested in hearing that. I hope you were. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
the explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.